The following sermon, entitled This One Was Born There, was preached on the morning of February 19th, 2023, at Hope Protestant Reformed Church in Redlands, California. If you enjoy listening to our sermons, we encourage you to come worship with us. For more information on upcoming service times and Bible study opportunities, please visit our website at hopeprc.org. Let's open God's Word this morning to Psalm 87. Psalm 87, we will read the entirety of this brief psalm. The text for this morning's sermon will be verses 4-6. through six. Psalm 87. His foundation is in the holy mountains. The Lord loveth the gates of Zion more than all the dwellings of Jacob. Glorious things are spoken of thee, O city of God. Selah. I will make mention of Rahab and Babylon to them that know me. Behold, Philistia and Tyre and with Ethiopia. This man was born there. And of Zion it shall be said, This and that man was born in her, and the highest himself shall establish her. The Lord shall count when he writeth up the people that this man was born there. Selah. As well the singers as the players on instruments shall be there. All my springs are in thee. Thus far we read God's Word. The text for this morning's sermon is verses 4-6. through six. I will make mention of Rahab and Babylon to them that know me. Behold, Philistia and Tyre with Ethiopia. This man was born there. And of Zion it shall be said, This and that man was born in her, and the highest himself shall establish her. The Lord shall count when he writeth up the people that this man was born there. For our congregation, this morning is a special occasion. For we have had the privilege of witnessing the administration of the sacrament of baptism to an infant child. And what adds to the significance is that this child, Sophie Wynne, has been adopted. Born to an unbelieving mother, but now brought into a covenant home and family. And to see such a child adopted is indeed something very special for us as a congregation. But now, with the baptism of such a child comes a question. How are we to view this adopted and now baptized child? Are we to view her in light of her physical lineage? That is, are we to view her as the daughter of an unbeliever? Or are we to view her according to the fact that she is now legally the child of Joel and Amy? Or is it somewhere maybe in between the two that we, we view her as a member of the church, but because she came from the outside, maybe she's somehow a second class member in the church of Jesus Christ? Maybe you never even thought to ask such a question. Because maybe the answer seems obvious to all of us, and I hope and pray that it is, but 
We must understand that within our own tradition, that is within the Dutch Reformed tradition of churches, there has actually been debate about that question, how do we view an adopted child who was born to unbelieving parents who's been brought into the church by adoption? And sadly, even some good men have reached the wrong conclusion on that. And therefore, it's good for us to face that question. And we face that question using this particular passage, Psalm 87, which gives us so much clarity. Because in this psalm, we are taught about God's promise in the Old Testament that He would gather His people from without into the church. And what is more, this passage teaches us how God Himself views, how God Himself evaluates such individuals who were brought in from the outside into the church of Jesus Christ. God's own assessment was that this man was born there. That is, He views them as full citizens of the Kingdom of Jesus Christ. He views them as free-born children of that great Kingdom. And that must be our evaluation as well. So that when others are brought in from the outside, when there's a child who has been adopted from an unbelieving mother into a believing home, we're to view her as having been born here in the church of Jesus Christ. The theme for this morning's sermon is this one was born there. First, we'll look at that amazing declaration that runs through the passage. Second, we'll look at the gracious explanation for how this can be said of really any one of us. And then third, the proper response. This one was born there. The amazing declaration, the gracious explanation, and the proper response. The theme for this morning's sermon is this, man, this one was born there. And we're taking that language right from the psalm. That's the amazing declaration that's stated three times. Once in each of the three verses. So that at the end of verse 4 we read, this man was born there. In the middle of verse 5, this and that man was born in her. And then again at the end of verse 6, this man was born there. And now, in order to understand what's being communicated there, what's being said, I believe it will be best if we start on the surface, as it were, and look at what's most obvious, what's most apparent in this psalm and in this phrase, and then begin to work our way down deeper and deeper and deeper into the meaning and the significance of the text so that we will slowly make our way to the specific, the unique truth that's being communicated here. So let's start on the surface. That is, let's start by looking at Psalm 87 as a whole. And Psalm 87 as a whole is about the church. And about the glory of the church. That's evident from the first three verses. Verse 1 begins, His foundation, that is, the foundation of God's house is in the holy mountains. And then he goes on to say in verse 2, the Lord loveth the gates of Zion more than all the dwellings of Jacob. That is, 
He loves that place where God's people come together as a body of believers to worship Him more than He loves the individual homes and families. He does love the individual homes and families, but He has a special love for that gathering together of believers at Zion to worship Him. So it's talking about God's love for the church and that's a part of the glory of the church. And thus in verse 3 we read, glorious things are spoken of thee, O city of God. The city of God being Jerusalem, which points us ahead to the New Testament church of Jesus Christ. Psalm 87 is about the church of Jesus Christ and it emphasizes the glory of that church. That's what we see when we look on the surface. Now we need to dig down ever so slightly to the next level and ask the question, well, what makes this psalm unique among all the other psalms that are out there? Because there are other psalms that speak of the church and even the glory of the church. And when we dig into this psalm, what we see is that it's unique in that it is a promise that the church would one day be broader than the nation of Israel. It would one day be broader than made up of only ethnic Jews so that this psalm is really a prophecy of the ingathering of the Gentiles into the church so that the church would be made up of people from every nation, tribe, and tongue. And that comes out in verse 4 especially. In verse 4 we read this, I will make mention of Rahab. Rahab is another name for Egypt. So I will make mention of Rahab, that is Egypt, and Babylon to them that know me. Behold, Philistia and Tyre with Ethiopia. This man was born there. So there's mention of five different nations. And if we group all the nations together, what they all have in common is that these are Gentile nations. Nations around the nation of Israel that are not ethnic Jews. And now, verse 5, rather, verse 4 says at the end, this man was born there. There being a reference back to the city of God. Zion that was described in the first three verses. And that's made even more explicit in verse 5. And of Zion it shall be said, this man, this and that man was born in her. That is, into Zion. So that what's being communicated here is that men and women from these other nations, from Egypt, from Babylon, from Philistia, from Tyre, and Ethiopia will be brought into the church of Jesus Christ. So that this is a prophecy, a promise that God would gather in the Gentiles. In the Old Testament, God's church was found almost exclusively in the nation of Israel. There were some exceptions. There was a a Rahab There was a Ruth. People brought in from the outside. But by and large, the church was the nation of Israel. But now this is a promise, a prophecy, that one day that's going to change and that others are going to be brought in from the outside. Not just the descendants of Abraham, whose great forefather was Shem, but people who were descendants of Ham and Japheth. So that God's church would be made up of people from every tribe and nation. And we see this in the New Testament when the Gospel 
goes not just to the Jews only, but also to the Gentiles. And the Gospel is spread to the uttermost parts of the earth. That's a fulfillment of this very prophecy. So on the surface, Psalm 87 is about the church. When we dig down ever so slightly, we see that it's a prophecy that the church will become a Catholic, a universal church. But now we can dig even deeper. And what happens when we dig even deeper is that we see that this is really a promise that God will gather into the church the people we would least expect. He will gather in the most unlikely of converts. And that comes out when we examine more closely those five nations that are mentioned in verse 4. Because the first three, you understand, are really the enemies of God's people. Verse 4, I will make mention of Rahab of Egypt and Babylon to them that know me. Behold, Philistia, and then this man was born there. Starts with Egypt. That first great enemy of the church in the Old Testament. The the nation that held Israel captive that was cruel to them. And then it moves on to Babylon. The nation that would take the, the people of Judah into captivity one day. And then it mentions Philistia, that nation to the west of Judah that was a perpetual thorn in the side of God's people. These are enemies being mentioned. And then the other two are likewise nations you would never expect to be gathered into the church because next there is mention of Tyre. And Tyre is known for their their commerce and thus their wealth. So that mention of Tyre is a mention of the, the people of the highest class. And then there's mention of Ethiopia. People to the south of Egypt. And the idea here is that Ethiopia is Israel's most distant neighbor. People way off that they hardly even know about. They've only ever heard of them. They never even interact with. And this is a promise that God would take men and women from these nations and bring them into the church so that it could be said of them, this one was born there. God's going to gather His enemies into the church. Men like Saul of Tarsus who persecuted the church, he's brought in. God is going to take people from the the highest classes of society and gather them into the church so that you have a man like Zacchaeus, a, a rich and wealthy man who is likewise gathered. You have people from faraway lands. You have the the Ethiopian eunuch. A direct fulfillment of this very prophecy. You have people in faraway Rome who have the Gospel preached to them and they believe it. So that what this psalm is teaching us is that God's not just going to gather the Gentiles, but He's going to take the people we would never even expect Him to. He's going to gather them, draw them into the church of Jesus Christ. So this is an amazing promise and prophecy that we find in Psalm 87. But now as amazing as that is, we can go yet another step deeper. Psalm 87 is about the church. It teaches us that the Gentiles are going to be brought in. And then it teaches us even more deeply which 
types of Gentiles will be brought in, the, the people we would least expect. But now we can go one level deeper into the specific meaning of this psalm and see that it teaches us about the status, the place of those who are brought in from the outside into the church. And what this psalm teaches us is that they will be given all the blessings and privileges that belong to the members of the church. And that comes out from that phrase, this man was born there. The point being that those brought in from the outside have the rights of a full citizen. There's an analogy here. An illustration that's being used in the text. The analogy of being born into a country, into a kingdom, and thus a citizen. For those of us who were born in the United States of America, the fact that we were born here means we are now citizens of this country. And along with that comes certain rights that we would not otherwise have if we were just a tourist or a a foreigner. The same thing was true in Paul's day, for example. To be a citizen of Rome was important. And it brought along with it rights. And there were different ways you could become a citizen, but the best way was just to be born a citizen. Even as Saul of Tarsus was, so that he could say, I was a a free-born Roman citizen. And with that came certain rights, certain privileges. And now, what's being said here is that same idea, but now applied to the spiritual reality of the church. So that for these others who are brought in from the outside, it's as though they had been born right into the church as free-born sons and daughters of the church, a part of the kingdom. Full citizens with all the rights, with all the privileges that come along with that. And what that means is that when people are brought in from the outside, they are not second-class citizens. They're not on a lower tier in the church. But God's own evaluation, God's assessment, is that they are full citizens who have all the rights and all the privileges so that there's no difference in the church. Say in the Old Testament, between a Rahab or Ruth on the one hand and someone who was born in the nation of Israel and could trace their lineage all the way back to Abraham. What this passage is teaching that there's no difference between the two from a spiritual point of view. There's no difference from a spiritual point of view between someone who was born into a, a true church of Jesus Christ, grew up their entire life in that church, or someone who was brought in from the outside. That's the specific, the unique truth that Psalm 87 is teaching. And now that we've narrowed in on that truth and seen the depth of what this psalm is teaching us, we then need to see how it applies to us. And how it applies to the specific occasion this morning, namely the baptism of an adopted child. We are not to view Sophie as the daughter of an unbeliever. It's true that from a physical point of view, she was born outside of the church. 
But in light of Psalm 87, the way we are to view her as, is as one who was born right into the church. As a, a full member, as a, a citizen of the kingdom of Jesus Christ with all the rights, with all the privileges of everyone else. And that includes the right to be baptized and to receive that sacrament. And we say that because within our Dutch Reformed tradition, there have been some who have taken the position that adopted children who were born to unbelieving parents, who were adopted by believing parents, were not to receive the sacrament of baptism as infants. That is quite shockingly the view of Vendelin and Munzma and their otherwise excellent commentary on the church order. On that specific point, they are badly wrong. Because Psalm 87 makes very clear though brought in from the outside, God's own assessment we trust of this adopted and now baptized child is that she was born here. But it's not just Sophie, is it? It's all of us. Because there are some in our congregation who were not born into the church but who were brought in from the outside. The application is first and foremost to it being not just Jews, but also Gentiles. But that also includes that God is going to continue to draw His people from the outside so that it's not just in the line of generations that God continues His covenant, but He also establishes His covenant with those from without and brings them in in such a way that it can be said of them, this one was born there. That is right into the church. than even for us who have been born into the church. To my knowledge, not one of us here is an ethnic Jew. Not one of us here can trace our physical lineage all the way back to Father Abraham. That is, all of us, if we go back far enough in our history, were the children of unbelievers. For those of us who are Dutch, Our great forefathers were barbarians. But the Gospel was brought to them in fulfillment of this very promise in Psalm 87. And God used the Gospel to bring them to faith. And when they were brought to faith, brought into the church of Jesus Christ, it could be said of them too, this one was born there. And now that's said of us as members of the church of Jesus Christ. This man and that man was born in her. So the only question left for us is do we count this a privilege? Is this enough for us Because it is indeed an astounding privilege to be born into Zion. Comes with tremendous blessings. It means we we are heirs. 
of eternal life, of life with God, that we have all the blessings of salvation, the forgiveness of sins. It means we have the right to the defense and preservation of the King Himself who defends us. It means we're given the chief means of grace, the preaching and the sacraments, and we could make a long list of all of the blessings, of all of the privileges that come along with being a member of the church, of being born into the church in this way. So do we count it as a privilege? Child of God, put your name into verses 4, 5, and 6. So that it's not just this one was born there, but put your name. I was born there. And meditate upon the blessedness of that. Because it's something far greater than having all the wealth of Tyre. It's something far more wonderful than being given all the power, all the might of a Babylon or of an Egypt at their highest points of power. Because we're now citizens of the kingdom of Jesus Christ with all the the spiritual riches that come along with that. And then we belong to a kingdom far more powerful, far more greater than the greatest earthly kingdom that ever has or ever will exist. Let us count this as a privilege. Let this be what matters more than anything else that it can be said of me. This one was born there. Because it is indeed a blessing. But now when we understand the blessedness of it, it leads us to another question. How could this be said of any one of us? That is, the question is not simply, how can this be said of someone who was brought in from the outside into the church, but even for us who grew up our whole lives in the church, how can it be said of us, this one was born there, that is, into the church of Jesus Christ? the invisible church of Jesus Christ, into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Because by nature, we have no right to be citizens of that kingdom. According to our physical birth, we are the descendants of Adam. And thus, by our physical birth, we are children of wrath. We are the enemies of Jesus Christ by nature. So that whether we were born, whether one was born a Jew in the Old Testament, whether one was born Dutch and into a Reformed church, that does not give us any right to be citizens of this kingdom, to have it said of us, this one was born there. So how is it possible? Well, there's a gracious explanation. 
And the gracious explanation is that we have been spiritually reborn into the kingdom. And that's the still deeper significance that comes out in Psalm 87. In the first point, we started on the surface and we slowly worked our way down, down, down into the text and saw what it taught us. But now we have to go even deeper and that from a theological point of view and get at how is it possible from a theological point of view how this can be said of us. And the answer of the text is that we are reborn spiritually. And that's the significance of the extra significance of that phrase. This one was born there. It's telling us not only that as one who's born there, we now have all of the, the rights, the privileges, and the blessings of being a citizen, but this one was born there is also teaching us how we are brought into this kingdom. The manner, the mechanism whereby we are brought in. Namely, regeneration. Being born again. And that's not only the teaching of Psalm 87. That's the teaching of Christ Himself. In John 3, verses 3 and 5, in that conversation with Nicodemus, He said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, this is verse 5 now, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. What Christ Himself teaches us here is that apart from regeneration, we cannot even see the kingdom. That is, there's no natural desire within us for the kingdom. We hate that kingdom. By nature, we are the enemies of that kingdom. We are the Babylonians, the Egyptians, the Philistines who want to destroy the kingdom. And thus, it's only by being born again, being regenerated, that we are not only given to see the kingdom, but we are brought into the kingdom. Christ Himself teaches us very clearly that it's by being born again that we now enter into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. It's through regeneration. Regeneration being that work of the Spirit of Christ to take otherwise spiritually dead sinners and make us alive again by giving us the very life of Christ. For you see, Christ came into this world to live a perfect life of obedience and to lay down His life at the cross. But then as we know, He arose again. And having risen from the dead, He is now able to give us His life and bestow it upon us. And He does that by His Spirit who comes to live and to dwell within our hearts and who establishes a union between our Savior and us and injects, infuses, implants the life of Christ Himself into our hearts so that we who were dead are made alive again. That's the truth of regeneration. And what a gracious work it is, child of God. For you see, it's in many ways like our physical birth. When it comes to being born physically, that's not a decision we make. We did not have any input on 
being born physically. It wasn't based on any activity or work that we performed, but in our physical birth, we were entirely and completely passive. And so it is with our spiritual birth. We're born again not because I made a decision for Jesus Christ. It's not because of anything in me, not because of some work or activity that I perform that I then make myself alive again. But this is a work of Christ in which we are entirely and completely passive. For the Spirit of Christ miraculously takes dead sinners and makes them alive again. And it's only in that way that we are brought into the kingdom of Jesus Christ so that it can be said of us, this one was born there. So that even if we were, even if one was born as an Israelite in the Old Testament, even if one is born into a true church of Jesus Christ, that by itself does not save someone. For they are not all Israel that are of Israel. Within the sphere of the covenant, there are both Jacob's and Esau's. What matters, what distinguishes one from the other, is being born again by the power of the Spirit of Christ. But now why is one person reborn and not the other? Why are some given this new life and not others? And to answer that question, we have to go one last step deeper in our understanding. I promise you this is the last step of our working our way down into the deepest meaning of this passage. And what this passage sets forth is the truth that whether one is a member of the church is according to God's decree of election. And that's where verse 6 comes in. Reminds us or points us to the truth of God's election. Verse 6 we read, The Lord shall count when He writeth up the people that this man was born there. This is really an astounding verse because of the perspective that it gives us. The perspective that it gives us is that it is as though we are looking over God's own shoulder as He sits there with a book open in front of Him and He's writing in it and commenting along the way, this one was born there. That book in which God is writing is the book of life. Verse 6 says, the Lord shall count when He writeth up the people. When does God write up the people? When does He make a a list uh, of the names of His people? Well, this is the book of life. That is the book that contains the names of every one of God's elect children. So that to have your name in this book is to be chosen unto everlasting life. And the the viewpoint of verse 6 is that God Himself has this book open and as He gathers His people into the church of Jesus Christ, 
Each time he finds the appropriate name in the book and writes behind it, born there. He puts a little check by the name. Chosen in eternity and now born into the church. So that what verse 6 is teaching us is that behind the truth of our regeneration and our being born again spiritually stands God's decree of election. That's the, the deepest level that we can go in light of this passage. God's decree of election. That is, His eternal decree to choose certain specific individuals unto eternal salvation. Not because of anything in us, but entirely according to His good pleasure and His free and unconditional love. And now, it's according to that decree that God gives new life. He gives the gift of faith to some so that when they sit under the preaching, they believe and thus look to Jesus Christ for salvation. And it's that decree of election then that stands behind all of God's work in time. So that the very sending of Jesus Christ into this world was with a view to saving the elect. That's why Christ came into this world. He had the people that the Father had given to Him in view at all times. So that He came to accomplish salvation. Not just for the Old Testament Israelites, but for His people scattered over the length and the breadth of this earth for the people who would be chosen out of not just Zion, but out of Babylon and out of Egypt and out of Philistia and out of Tyre and out of Ethiopia. Christ came with a view to accomplishing their salvation. And now as our ascended Lord in heaven, He is at work gathering each and every one of them into the church. And now sometimes, He does that by so governing all things that some of His people are born right into the church visible. Into the local congregation. In some cases, Christ as our ascended Lord so governs things that His elect children are born to believing parents. And then He uses the means of that parental instruction and the the instruction they receive in the church throughout their entire life to bring them to saving faith. But at other times, He works in a different way. At other times, He so governs all things that one of His elect children is born to unbelieving parents. Born outside of the the visible church. Outside of the sphere of the covenant. But then later in life, Christ Himself sees to it that that person hears the Gospel. And that person is then brought into the church. And sometimes He works somewhere in between. So that a child is born to unbelieving parents. But then plucked, snatched from that circumstance, that situation, and brought into a covenant home. And we trust for the salvation of that child. And every single time, God Himself is there in heaven as it were, 
with the book open. And each time the life of Christ is implanted into the heart of one of His own, God goes down the list of names, finds the name, and with joy in His own heart says, this one was born there. He puts a check by the name. He's keeping track so that not one elect child goes missing. That is the glorious truth that's taught in Psalm 87. How then shall we respond? The proper response is humble and thankful praise to this great God. And that's verse 7. Verse 7 adds, As well the singers as the players on instruments shall be there, all my springs are in Thee. Without going into all the details of verse 7, it speaks of singers, it speaks of players of instruments, and the whole point is those within the church, within Zion, are praising God for the salvation that He has accomplished for bringing them into the church. And we're told the, the lyrics that they are singing. That's the point of that last phrase. All my springs are in Thee. That's what these singers are singing. All my springs. That is, all my fountains are in Thee so that my life comes from Thee. There's an acknowledgement that this new life that I've been given is, is not inherent in me. It's not something that I've earned, but it's something that God Himself has given me. He's the, the source, the fountain, the spring of life itself and all of the blessings of salvation that come upon me. There's praise. And praise directed to God in the acknowledgement that, that's, that this is all His work. That's verse 5. The end of verse 5. And of Zion it shall be said, this and that man was born in her, and the highest himself shall establish her. The highest himself. That's God, the Most High. And the point in being expressed in verse 5 is that this is His sovereign and gracious work. It's not our work to bring ourselves into the church. It's not even the work of the church itself to draw others in from the outside. Yes, He uses the church, but in the end, and ultimately, it's His sovereign grace at work in the hearts and lives of His own according to that decree of election so that the point is that all the praise, all the glory, all the honor goes to Him. And that's the proper response. A humble praise that says, not unto us, O Lord, not unto us be glory, but unto Thy name. Because Thou art the One who gets all the credit. It's a humble praise and it's a thankful praise because we're the objects of this. He's done this to us who do not deserve this, this grace of regeneration and all of the blessings that come along with being a member of the church of Jesus Christ. It's that knowledge that fills our heart with gratitude so that it's with thanksgiving that we now praise this God. So the proper response for His people here 
who've been born here. In the right sense of the passage, is humble and thankful praise. But is there not also a reminder that the church is to look without? The point of Psalm 87 is that God will gather His church from every nation, tribe, and tongue. So that Psalm 87 is an encouragement for the church to be faithful in her work of missions, in her labors of evangelism, in her efforts to witness. He's promised to use it. So that it's not just the promise that the church will be broader than ethnic Jews and the Old Testament nation of Israel, but it also is that God will continue to work this way. Yes, in the line of generations, and that's a a beautiful, precious promise, but also that He'll gather His church from without into the church so that it can be said of others from without, this one was born there. And thus, as a church, we're to be faithful in striving to heed that great commission to go into all nations teaching, making disciples, and baptizing in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then when by His grace, others are brought in, we are to receive them according to this passage as having been born here from a spiritual point of view. So that when others come from the outside, we do not treat them as second-class citizens. We do not sort of stiff-arm them as a church. We do not view them as tourists or foreigners. But we recognize there's no difference from a spiritual point of view, between one who grew up his entire life in the church and one who came to the church as an adult convert. And thus, as a church, we wrap our arms around them. We embrace them and we celebrate with joy in our hearts saying, this one and that one, they were born here. All the while giving praise to God for keeping this promise of Psalm 87 and gathering His church not only from within, but also from without. Amen. Father which art in heaven, we thank Thee for Thy Word which truly is a lamp to our feet and a light before our path and helps us to have a proper understanding of ourselves as well as other fellow believers. And we pray that Thou will bless Thy Word as it's been proclaimed. And we pray that Thou will indeed continue to gather Thy church both from the children of believers as well as by bringing others 
calling others out of darkness and into Thy marvelous light by means of the preaching of the Gospel. Hear this prayer for Christ's sake. Amen.